This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. I'm happy to welcome two guests to the program now. This is Robert McKee and Thomas Gerace. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Excellent. Great to be with you. Great to have you guys here. Super excited. It's a two for one. So I love it. The fact that we've got uh, two brains out there, they're going to give us all kinds of knowledge. Uh, Let me start sort of with you guys' journey, because one of the things that just bugs the heck out of me uh, in terms of what I see on my campus every single uh, day, uh, Robert and Thomas, is this idea. I, I ask students to write stuff, and they're awful. They're really bad writers. And, you know, the skill of writing, the skill of telling a story is so critical. And you guys are going to talk about this in terms of developing narratives for brands and companies, organizations that can connect with their target audiences, with their consumers, with their constituents. So how did you guys get into, I mean, you guys are gurus in writing and creative writing and story-driven marketing. So how did you guys find your way into this, into this area and what got you excited to start doing the great work that you're doing in this space? No, we discovered a need. Um, I have been giving long, you know, three and four day seminars on the art of storytelling for fiction writers Mm -hmm. for decades. And business people were showing up in these lectures. And these lectures go from nine in the morning to eight o'clock at night, four days Mm -hmm. on end. Mm -hmm. And they're suffering through all this just to learn (laughs) some little insights into the art of storytelling. And so uh, when Tom and I collaborated to put together a special day for them, mm-hmm. the Storynomics Seminar, out of that, then inspired by that uh, and building on those seminars, we wrote a book, mm-hmm. uh, Storynomics, uh, that uh, comes out in a week. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Hatchet is publishing it on the 20th. Um, and so, um, uh, uh, but that was, it was a natural path. I mean, the, the demand was great. Mm-hmm. And so, but in, the, in, a, in, a, in a long seminar, is the correct inference that I'm drawing, at least, is that, listen, you have to do this. You have to practice. You have to, it's not something that you just, you know, use some hacks or some tricks. It's like, you have to like get into this as an area of study and understand how to do it. Is that the right way to think about it? You know, I think it is. We, we like to say that, uh, and Bob has taught for his career, that story is really an art form mm-hmm. like any other. And, of course, you can pick up a paintbrush and begin to paint without <laughs> knowing the craft. Mm-hmm. But you're going to be much better at painting if you understand the craft, if mm-hmm. you have studied the form, mastered the form, and then can uh, combine that knowledge of the craft with, with talent. And so let me ask you this, Tom, in the original uh, storynomic seminars that were the impetus for the book, how, what types of people would, would come to these seminars? What would be the proportion of, of um, interests in terms of fields of study where they were coming from, in terms of the percentage of business people and other, other types of people? Well, who, who are these people? You know, largely they are marketers mm-hmm. and salespeople. So Storynomics is focused on uh, storytelling outside the enterprise. Okay. Uh, Bob and I will look at storytelling inside the enterprise in a in a next series, but oh, nice. uh, the, the first book and seminar is really meant to help businesses connect with, with prospects and customers. Mm-hmm. And, and we really entered the field from Skyward's perspective, the, the company that I lead. Yes. Mm-hmm. We, Skyward entered the field because we recognize that there's a massive change happening in the marketing world. Mm-hmm. You know, for the better part of two centuries, 
the same basic approaches work. <laughs> Brands could find the stories their customers loved in print, radio, or television, mm-hmm. interrupt them with an ad. Mm-hmm. And if they spent enough money, uh, they would be able to build brand awareness. And if they did their job reasonably well, brand affinity. Mm-hmm. But consumers are today rejecting that interruption. Uh. And you can see it. You know, we've, we've been forecasting this for a couple of years, and today you can see it coming true. If you look at WPP's uh, slide on the stock market mm-hmm. and the fact that in the same week that they're off 30% year over year, Netflix is hitting all-time highs. Yeah. You know, we see customers shifting to ad-free yes. media, whether it's uh, blocking ads online, yes. uh, having ad-free subscriptions on Netflix or Apple Music uh, mm-hmm. or Spotify. Mm-hmm. So it's getting tougher and tougher to reach those consumers. So, so effectively, brands can't buy their way into consumer attention. Mm-hmm. They need to earn that attention by delivering something audiences want. Mm-hmm. And that really, uh, that really led us, and we believe is leading marketers in mass scale, to story. And what's I, what I love about that point, Bob and Tom, is that you know, as a consumer myself, I am also very much in that space of where I'm just trying to avoid the, the, the interruption. You just don't want to like stop people when they're at dinner or stop them when they're in the flow of their consumption by this transactional, almost marketing gimmick-esque kind of, hey, I'm trying to sell you something thing. And I think part of you guys' point is that we need to shift to a newer model, and the newer model is going to be we need to get you engaged, and part of what's going to drive that is storytelling. Is that Would you say that that is a proper way to think about it? Yeah, you can always interrupt people to entertain them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, they welcome that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and so, if you um, if you uh, hook their attention with a story and make them immediately wonder what's what's going to happen next, how's this going to turn out, mm-hmm. and hold that interest and build it and satisfy it, you can motivate them then to move on to um, uh, to purchase a product, a service, to uh, or at the very least to. Um, uh, develop a positive attitude toward the brand. Mm-hmm. And so because storytelling fits the brain, fits the mind yes. instantly, mm-hmm. um, there is a way to hook and hold and move people uh, to do what you need them to do uh, without annoying them. Mm-hmm. And that is to tell them a really fine story. I love the point that you're making, Bob, about our brains being hardwired for stories because kind of almost evolutionarily speaking, this is how we've communicated. We share stories for thousands of years. This is how we engaged each other as as human beings, as organisms, if you will. Uh, I love that point. It's also the stories you put into your own mind without even talking to another person. Mm -hmm. I mean, memory is a story. Yes. You only remember value-charged moments from your life. Mm Mm-hmm. Your mind puts them together, cause and effect, mm-hmm. so that you have some anticipation of what to do should this happen again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's these stories that live in you that say, this is how you should do things, mm-hmm. and this is what's going to happen. Ideally, how, here's how you should respond. And so you live with stories in you. You, you, you turn reality into a story to make sense out of it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you, when, when you communicate, to other human beings in story form, you know, you, you instantly grab their attention uh, because they want to know how things work. 
I love I love this point because I'm about to. It's interesting that you mentioned this. is very timely in my class. I'm about to do a session on memory, and a big oh, yeah. point. A big point of what we're going to talk about during the class will be this notion of autobiographical memories. And your point is exactly right. So if someone were to ask me, Americus, what did you have? for dinner last Wednesday, I have no idea. Uh, but if you were to, to, to take me into my memory around these flashpoints like you were talking about yep. that are organized, and, and it's pragmatic. It's like I need that to be able to understand my world and to know what to do in situations that I sort of find myself in in the future, right? And that's what sticks. That's what other people remember. Mm-hmm. So when you communicate B2B or B2C in a story form, they are not only engaged but it sticks with them. And <clears throat> who knows how long afterwards when they're in the marketplace looking for something that they need and your brand is there, that story gets repeated mm-hmm. in, their, in their memory and they reach for it. That's an excellent point. I love that. Tom, if you could talk a little bit about how this plays out in terms of some of the work that you've done working with some of these clients, uh, Samsung, Philips, MasterCard, and others that you have worked with in terms of helping them understand in the B2B setting, how do I bring these kinds of storytelling concepts to life to help my, to help basically enhance my brand? Sure. I mean, America, one of my favorite examples is a uh, web property that we uh, manage with and for IBM security. Mm-hmm. And we use this as an example in the Storynomics uh, book as well uh, at securityintelligence.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, IBM had a, has a, a uh, tough job. Their security division is trying to reach some of the hardest to reach people in the world. The CIOs and CTOs and uh, CISOs, their chief information security officers, right. that are trying to keep corporations safe from viruses, malware, hacks, data theft, all of the things we read about in the news every day. Mm-hmm. But trying to get in the door to those folks is tough because they are incredibly busy, uh, getting busier and busier uh, by the day. And they also understand technology, so they already do the things like ad blocking, uh, <laughs> ignore, ignoring phone calls coming in that, are, you know, that don't show up on their caller ID where they recognize the caller, and, mm-hmm. and all of the things that uh, email filtering, all the things that make it tough to reach people. So what IBM did uh, on security intelligence is create uh, a journal of record for the security space. Mm. And if you visit securityintelligence.com, you'll find that they are covering market-wide uh, all of the vulnerabilities that put an enterprise at risk. Oh. So they, they're really doing a huge service I see. for their customers and prospects by helping them do their jobs better. I see. And mm-hmm. when they storify that content, when they uh, effectively are able to do what Bob just described, they you know open a story with uh, an event that uh, creates a, a value charged moment where something you know life is life is going along in balance, and then all of a sudden somebody finds out they've been exposed, they've mm-hmm. been hacked, they, their data has been stolen. Mm-hmm. Then they've got an opportunity to talk about. Uh, how that happened, mm-hmm. uh, how other enterprises can figure out if they are at risk, and how they can prevent that from happening. So they can actually use story form uh, to hook audience attention and to hold and reward that attention as they are talking about something highly relevant in the industry. This has helped uh, IBM become uh, a frequently cited source. This uh, securityintelligence.com is cited by the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the uh, AP, Thomson Reuters, mm-hmm. uh, which, of course, builds their exposure. 
And at the same time, IBM is able to to build relationships with their customers and demonstrate their expertise. It's it's a really powerful way they connect with their customers. So let me let me ask you this, Bob. Since you are Mm -hmm. your creative writing instructor, what are there? Can you point us to specific properties of the story that that have to be there? Are there different elements that that make a really fantastic story that you can point us to? And if if so, what are those elements? Well, number one, a business story it has a positive ending. Okay. That is a given, okay? Mm-hmm. end on the positive. Now, in order for that positive ending that will move people to act to work, it has to be set up with a negative floor. Okay. The movement has to be from negative to positive. Okay. And that makes the positive ending have impact. I see. If you try to tell a story where you simply go positive, 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 if everything is up, 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 nothing is up. Mm-hmm. It has no effect. It's just repetitious and boring. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to hit a negative floor so that you can move to the positive. Mm-hmm. And this is difficult for for businesses mm-hmm. because in in um, in our terminology, uh, the business world's infected with a with a malady. Uh, that we call negaphobia, mm. the fear of all things <laughs> negative. <laughs> right. Uh, and and this is one of the reasons that their stories, when they try to tell them, don't work, because they the true story is a movement, dynamic mm-hmm. movement, value-charged movement, from negative to positive, negative, positive, negative, positive. Uh, and they don't, they, anything negative scares them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they don't tell a story. What they tell is, in fact, a narrative. Oh. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and bore people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, so, um, and so the first is, is, is the willingness to open the, the truth up and say, look, here's the problems. Mm-hmm. This is what you face. This is what could go wrong. This is what has already gone wrong in your company, and you you know you have to face. It. Mm-hmm. And here's the here's the answer to that, the solution to that, uh, with a positive uh, uh, climax. That that negative to positive movement can only be meaningful if it's through conflict. Gotcha. Okay. And so um, it can't be easy to go from negative to positive. Oh. Okay. It has to be a struggle to get from negative to positive, or it, or it's vapid. Gotcha. Uh, and um, mm-hmm. so the negative floor, strong conflict, mm-hmm. um, those two elements uh, immediately improve a narrative into a story. Gotcha. So it becomes a narrative gets translated. It becomes something that's drawing you in in a much deeper way in that sense. And then you end on the positive. Is that the, and so in some sense, it's like you're creating a, you're creating a kind of dramatic effect in a, in, in a oh, sense. It's, oh, you hopefully it's a very dramatic effect. Interesting. I love this point that you're also making, Bob, with respect to the idea that by being willing to get over the negophobia and to be able to open up the truth, like you're saying, and talk about this idea of here are the problems, here are the problems that we've had you're actually gaining credibility because what ha- what might be happening is that people are saying that, oh, you know, they're not giving us the marketing spin, if you will, of all things are always fantastic in some over-stylized, curated world. They are literally telling us the reality, and therefore we see them more as credible as they deliver the story to us. Is that correct? That's very insightful. I mean, you can go in and pitch B2B and be really polite and all offending, all happy, cheerful, and whatnot, <laughs> and then the, the client knows you're bullshitting. 
right. and that's a technical term, by the way, listeners. Right yes. and yes. saying that's bullshit, <laughs> but they aren't going to buy what you got to sell. Yeah, yeah. Now, Tom uh, and Bob, I want to ask you to give us some examples of fantastic, well, both sides of the coin, actually, fantastic stories that you've seen in the case examples that you've worked with and terrible ones and tell us why, you know, I guess perhaps in some senses the bad ones are violating these principles that Bob mentioned, but tell us what, give us some examples of stories that you've seen out there, uh, either in B2B or B2C that you were like, wow, they got it. They really nailed it. Oh, I have a client in um, uh, Wisconsin, uh, which is the Bolt Construction Company. It's a 125 year old family owned business and one of the major construction companies in America. Mm -hmm. And um, their problem, B2B, is winning a bid, a competitive bid against all the other construction companies to build power plants and hospitals and universities and Mm -hmm. these major projects. And they, you know, throughout their history, they bid in the traditional way, which is a rational, deductive argument with with numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, right? Mm -hmm. And... Their win rate was one in 10. Okay. So they called me in and I taught their bid team to storify their bids. The same data, the same information, the same numbers, but put in a story form of how this, this construction, how this build will go and how the client will be the star of that story, making the choices and steering the, the project. Mm. Um, once they storified their bids, their win rate went from one in 10 to one in two. Wow. One in two. They doubled. They doubled. Uh, they went from a billion dollar company to a $2 billion company in a year. In a year. Um, and wow. with the same data, uh-huh. but dramatized. Dramatized. Storified. And, and making the customer, the, the protagonist, the star of the story. The customer is the protagonist, the star of the story. Ah, I see. And that's that's engendering engagement to your original point. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it makes them actively, emotionally involved in their future and what they're going to do to, uh, <clears throat> to, uh, with, the, with the construction company, Bolt Construction, as the sort of sidekick. Mm-hmm. You know, there to do this work for you, give you your choices, take this thing to fruition so that you end up with something that is, you know, aesthetically pleasing on budget and lawsuit free. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Interesting. Tom, can you speak a little bit about this notion of where the pitfalls are, where the major mishaps, where the the major uh, sort of roadblocks? Obviously, it's it's a problem to not do it. Sure. But to not storify yeah, appropriately, that, but that, that's the yeah, that's right, Marcus. That's obviously the first problem is is when marketers don't use story. Mm-hmm. But but I think uh, misapplication of story uh, is equally dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things we we teach is that brands not only need to to be able to craft good stories, but they need to be able to apply them properly. And you'll use story form differently if your goal is branding. Oh. Uh, versus demand gen or lead gen versus sales. Okay. And and in a branding example, for example, you want to make sure that uh, you align the core value of the story. Okay. With the with the core value of your brand or the central organizing principle of who your company is outside, of course, of its profit motive. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the brilliant, you know, the brilliance of, and we think Apple is one of the greatest consistent storytellers over mm-hmm. time. If you go back to the brilliance of their 
1984 ad, the classic Super Bowl ad where they launched the Macintosh. Yes, think different. Uh, yes, exactly. So, so they have in that particular ad you know, this dynamic young woman running with a uh, Thor's hammer mm-hmm. uh, through the numb gray crowd, mm-hmm. uh, who, and she go, then goes, of course, as a rebel in that society, shatters the droning voice of the authoritarian society and liberates the people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that. That short story that they told in that Super Bowl ad played with the value pair of conformity and and rebellion, right? Uh, right. Or, or enslavement and rebellion, uh, which is at the core of Apple's brand. I mean, that idea of creativity versus conformity sits at the heart of that Apple brand uh, as long as we've known it, mm-hmm. and and people identify with that creative nature. They connect with that. Uh, what. Well, you know, that is really powerful when you right. apply story well. Uh, if you go back to a different Super Bowl commercial a couple of years ago, Nationwide mm-hmm. infamously told the commercial that brought everybody down during the Super Bowl. Oh, and, Re- remind and our they, listeners of the of the content of that, Tom. Sure. So they start they really showed a child who said, you know, I should be playing with my friends. But I can't. And I and they began to show and they, they hooked your attention by having this child who said, all right, you know, I. I uh, should be enjoying, I've forgotten the exact set of circumstances, but this ice cream, but I can't. And at the end, they find out, you, you find out that the child who is narrating the story died in an accident in their home. I believe it was a bathtub drowning. Oh, right. And so what they did, and then they show their logo on the screen. But what they did that was really problematic, they, mm-hmm. they were making an important point, which is that safety matters. Right. And that what they wanted to get across was that Nationwide is your partner in keeping your family safe and well. Mm -hmm. But they ended that story on the negative. They went from the positive, Mm. child doing happy things, to the negative, Mm. child to die. And then put their brand up. And so what they ended up doing was identifying this negative emotion. Right. And so that's, they they in fact told a story and they used the dynamic movement we've been talking about, but they applied it improperly to their marketing. Mm -hmm. So understanding not just story form, but the application of story to achieve specific business goals is absolutely critical. Oh, that's and so that, really getting getting the form and getting the application are are key to success in the space. Very, very cool example. I love that example that you're talking about, Tom, because it, it very much points to the idea that you have to have a deep understanding of how the brain is wired to attract itself, to connect, to uh, basically uh, really make a connection with how a really good story is told. And mm-hmm. for the brand, your point's an excellent point, Tom, because your point's saying like, listen, the brand is trying to get, we're trying to get engagement, but also trying to create that, that positive ending. That's the solution that the brand is going to bring to the person's lives needs to be delivered in that context such that that particular moment that's trying to create affinity is, is very much done in a way such that the story is really the true powerful vehicle to actually do that. And without these, with these principles, and I'll just recap them quickly, uh, st- set up with the negative floor, uh, that, that negative floor has to have conflict and struggle. The protagonist, which could be the brand, has to be involved in that, but to always end on the positive so that the resolution of that problem is solved in the context of storifying what the critical issues are is the best way to kind of create this stickiness, this, this, this thing that's going to stay in memory, that's going to get you engaged and be able to talk about it uh, in a way that's powerful. Let me ask you gentlemen this. So what are the new things? How are how is storification changing as a function of how consumers are becoming much more 
digitally savvy, let's say. Are you noticing trends out there in terms of how consumers are getting their information through different vehicles, whether it be mobile or social media, et cetera, that affect how to apply the critical principles in storynomics? Well, we, we certainly have found that... that you know, human discovery, the way in which we learn new things has changed radically in, in a couple of decades. We, we do most of our, uh, most of our uh, active discovery. When we have a question, uh, we have a desire, we want to go out and find it through search. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, we do most of our passive discovery now through social. Uh, we don't mean to learn something, but we go onto our favorite social platform, whatever it happens to be, and see what our friends have been sharing, mm-hmm. and then follow them down their journey of discovery. There's follow them down the path of discovery that uh, they have had. Uh, so it does make it does make a difference. First, whether or not you you create a story that is worth sharing, because those things are well told stories that connect with audiences are going to cascade socially, and you will earn a massive audience. Uh, that will make it much more uh, – that will drive much higher ROI than if you have to go out and buy audience, uh, as brands historically have, by renting, renting audiences through advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you know, crafting stories that are on topics that people are searching for certainly makes a difference. So traditional SEO rules, uh, despite the fact that sometimes writers feel they may be in conflict with uh, their, their pure creativity, uh, do matter. Uh, there are billions of searches, and they really uh, do deliver results. I mean, uh, Colgate is a client that uh, has done extremely well by creating content that, that answers people's questions about uh, oral care, mm. uh, really really becoming the WebMD for the oral care space with the <laughs> Colgate Oral Care, mm-hmm, know, Colgate mm-hmm. oral care Center. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool stuff. Bob McKee and Tom Gerace, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. I really appreciate you. Oh, you're more than welcome. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.